Let's invite the Lord to our presence together. Almighty God, Thou art the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet Thou dost give us hope that we might not be the same yesterday, today, and forever, that we might change into Thy image, to Thy glory, to Thy holiness, to Thy beauty. Lord, we pray this afternoon for Thy Word, that it could indeed have that transforming, powerful effect in our lives, that we could see ourselves in it, and that we could be transformed by it. Not only inspired in this hour, but as we would leave this place, that we would continue to work and transform us as we yield ourselves and our will and our stubbornness, as we would allow thy spirit free reign in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read together to the honor and glory of God from him from number first Corinthians, the first letter of Corinthians. Chapter 6, uh, starting from verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting from verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. <clears throat> this morning, the trumpet call that we heard 
in the pulpit was not an uncertain sound. It was very clear, it was very direct, telling us that there are two destinations for each one of us, and that they are eternal, they last forever, and that hell is very real, and we need to take it seriously. In this passage here, we read about those people that will not go to heaven. Those people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it starts off with a very sobering and scary thought as we compare ourselves with this list and say, am I in this list? Will I go to heaven or will the door be barred for me? It says, be not deceived, there's neither those who are sexually immoral, those who place their trust and hope in something other than God, who are idolaters, or those who are unfaithful to their spouses, those who steal, take things that do not belong to them, who are greedy and uh, are willing to compromise for the sake of gain. Those who are use substances to comfort them rather than trusting in God. Those who are abusive, whether verbally abusive of other people. Those who cheat. None of those are going to be able to inherit the kingdom of God. And as we think through this passage and we say, well, have I ever cheated? Have I ever had lustful thoughts and been unfaithful. The Bible, Jesus even saying that to look on a woman to lust after is to be committed adultery in your heart. Have I ever uh, been verbally abusive with someone? Have I really cut them down and hurt them with the words of my mouth? Have I ever been greedy? Have I wanted things that didn't belong to me? So much so that I was willing to even compromise. As we look through this list, we see there's very few of us that uh, would enter in. As the Bible says, there's none good. No, not one. And this might become a very heavy and depressing thought who are not for the next verse. If we look at verse 11, where it says, And such were some of you, but... In fact, you get the word but three times in that verse. But the, be the beautiful thing is such were, past tense. God no longer, these people had committed the sins. They're just like you and I. These sins have happened. The sin was red as crimson. There was no getting it out. 
they were destined for hell even as we all were. But that is in the past. God enabled them to leave that in the past and to no longer be labeled a thief, someone who is a swindler, an idolater, a fornicator. Those things were the past and they are no longer. He did not say, well, you committed these sins, but you know, thanks to what Jesus did on the cross, you're going to heaven anyways. They had a change in identity. It wasn't just a saved sinner. You were these things. But you were washed. And he distinctly gives three buts. You were washed. That filth, the shame, the thing that made it difficult for you to look at yourself in the mirror, the thing that made you put on masks to cover up in front of other people, the thing that made you afraid to be alone and really think deeply about yourself. Those things were cleansed and washed and completely uh, taken away from you by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have a chance to become new. It's often at this time of year that people want to turn over a new leaf. They like the thought of being able to, to take the 2011 version of themselves, which they're not really proud of, leave that behind and become somebody new. And what we have here is hope that is not a once a year thing. Not when the water stirs, not when uh, the clock strikes 12 on January 31st. This is a hope that is not a short-lived, well, I'm going to try to become a better person and we'll see how many days or maybe weeks my resolutions will last. This is not me being the same person and trying harder to cover it up with better masks that fewer people can see through. This is Jesus saying, you were that person and you are no longer that person. I have washed you with the blood that I shed on the cross and not only did I cleanse you from the acts that you have done in the past, which is a huge relief, which in itself would have condemned me to an eternity in those flames of hell that we heard this morning. But that would have not been good enough. If all, if I had been washed from my sins of 2011, how long will I last in 2012? On my own power. How long will I be able to be free from these things? But you are sanctified. God has set you apart. He's taking you out of the old man. The man that was destined deservedly for those flames. And he has set you apart as his child. And he has made you new. 
that you can have the hope of not only a cleansing of the past, but a new identity and a new power and a new purpose and a new you. Not a, 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 you know, how our advertising likes to say new and improved. How maybe we come up with a different model of a car and we say this is a 2012 Toyota or whatever so that we can go out and think it's something new that we'll look at again. This is not something that we do once a year. This is not a label we slap on things to make things look more attractive to market it to certain people. God does this once and he doesn't do it just with labels on the surface. God does this from the heart. He sanctifies you and not only cleanses you from the guilt of your sin, but from the power of that sin to hold you a slave to continue the cycle of shame, to continue the bondage that Satan loves to hold you in. This is good news that the word new has meaning with Jesus Christ. The word new is not an advertising label. As we read, when the final chapter that God has made all things new, not just a new covering. Now, He does that in stages. If we actually would read, and I imagine this year there might be a renewed interest in the things of the end, that we see the many indications, and of course the Mayan calendar and so on makes people curious about the times of the end. But as we look into God's plan, we don't know the exact timing of which, we do know the order of events, that there are stages in God's changing of people, of his, his redemption of this earth. <clears throat> We know that the Antichrist, the beast, will come. We know there will be a time of, of where there, the whole world will be under the power of an evil person who will be the enemy of all religion, who will heavily persecute anyone who names Christ, put a lot of pressure on them. Then we know that Jesus will come. He will come in a dramatic way through the clouds, and he will overthrow that evil power. But he, and he will take this earth and he will change it back to its original design in some ways. The earth is groaning for that moment, the creation. We know from the promises of Isaiah that the lion's going to be able to lay down the lamb, that there will be no more having to be afraid of uh, fear and animosity between animals and between animals and people, that the child can play with the, the poisonous snakes, that we know there will be a restoration of all the fear and of, of the corruption in nature itself. Well, uh, we know that the, the um, curse of Cain, of the, the, the thorns, and all the things that go naturally wrong in a fallen nature, the world will be restored. 
there's, I'm sure, will still be some scars. It won't be perfect. It will not be heaven. It is not the final, eternal resting place. It will be much better. People will have an opportunity to have Jesus Christ here present in Jerusalem ruling and being a right ruler over all the earth. But people will still have a choice. In that for that thousand year millennial reign, things will be much better than they are today. Because we'll have a right ruler and a right nature. But there still will be the possibility of rebellion. There still will be the possibility of evil. And after that thousand years, Satan will be loosed and he will take advantage of that and he will stir up one final rebellion at the end of that thousand years. And then will come the final judgment. Then will come the great white throne. Then will become the time everyone will appear. And then will become the final separation of heaven and hell. Those who are cast in the lake of fire because they're not, don't have their names written in the book of life. And those who will end up not on this planet, because this planet will be destroyed. In fact, the heavens itself will be destroyed. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And for one detail here, there was no more sea. And there will be a new Jerusalem. And, in, and at that point... <clears throat> We know that we will have new bodies. We know in 1 Corinthians it talks about how this corruptible must put on incorruption. And we'll have bodies that won't get sick, that won't get tired, that will never die. We know that God will wipe away all tears and there shall be no more pain, nor crying, nor sorrow. So there is this ultimate and there's nothing evil there. Nothing can enter in that will defile the vital sense. So we see these stages of, of, of under the power of Satan, you know, then being, uh, having nature being changed, having Christ as ruler, but still the freedom to, to choose in that final blissful state where you have a redeemed body where there is nothing possible that's going to go wrong anymore. And so in our Christian lives too, we know that there was a state where we were under the power of sin. And that if we liked it or not, we were going to end up sinning. That our very nature was corrupt. And then comes a time where you are are, uh, you have that treasure in earthen vessels where there is an inner beauty and light and treasure that God has washed and redeemed and sanctified but it is in a fragile not so pretty uh, shell of your body 
And so you are in a state where your nature has been restored, but the possibility, and Christ is ruler of your life, and you have a, a things are so much better. There is, but you still have the choice and ability to choose to rebel or not. And that is the state that Christians will find themselves in. And then comes the final state. Once you die as a believer and you choose not to rebel, which is your choice, that you then are in a state where you will no longer, um, there will be no longer anything that will defile, where your bodies will be redeemed. You'll no longer be in that earthen vessel because this earthly cannot inherit the heaven. The corruptible cannot inherit incorruption. And so you will finally be changed to be like He is, your Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this is hope. This is hope because the people who want to say that this is all there is, your this world, this planet is all there is, it's not, we're not going to get a new one, are wrong. And the people say, I can't change. I've tried and I've failed, and even though I want to do good, I end up doing wrong, even though I don't want to do these wrong things, I end up doing them anyways. I know I've tried and I just can't do otherwise. That is not the final state. There is good news. God can make you new. And you might look at some of those of us who have made that choice and say, well, he's still not perfect. And you're right. You're right that these are earthen vessels. But there is a difference. Jesus Christ is in control. There is a new nature. There is now the ability to live free from sin. There is now the power to do right. There is now a whole new level of hope that you can have. And you don't have to live under the power of anything. You have the choice now. Actually, all things are lawful. It's not like you're living under some kind of a system where God is there to, with a list of 313 laws or 700 or a book this thick. He's saying, go to the principle. It's not about, is this against some written law? Is it something that's going to build me up? Is it going to draw me closer to God? Is it something that's going to make me freer from the things that control me, or am it going to bring me under the power? So, this is an important concept. Satan's promising you freedom. Satan says, look, your parents are in your way. Look, the church and religious institutions are in the way. The church has so many rules, even more rules sometimes than the Bible has. That's your problem. If you can get rid of all these restrictions and all these people and all these authorities that seem to get in the way of your fun, you can finally be free. That's the lie that Satan's trying to tell you. And what God's saying, no, I want you to be free. 
I want to give you to no longer choose to bring yourself under the power of things that enslave you. These things you think are freedom are slavery. You think you want to be free to, you know, for example, any one of these things, you know, take drinking for an example, right? I want to be free to enjoy alcohol. And then what does it become? It becomes slavery. Well, even meats for the belly. You can enjoy an innocent thing called food and it becomes a dependency, an emotional dependency and it brings you under the power of it. It can be anything, whether sinful or even not in itself sinful, if it brings you under the power, you're becoming less free. And it's not like, oh well, you know, my parents told me I shouldn't be doing this or the Bible tells me I shouldn't be doing this or the church tells me I shouldn't be doing this. These are warning that you know it's not convenient for you to do this because you're losing your freedom. You're losing your power. You're becoming weaker. You're trading it in for pleasure while you become weaker. The, the image that I have in my mind of the, that scientific experiment where, where they, they could found the part of the, the mouse's brain that, that gave it pleasure. And they could hook up this electrode to it and as long, if the mouse pushed this button... He would experience pleasure. And so, the mouse would have water, food, everything it needed in his cage, but it, it, it would go and push that button so often that it forgot to drink, it forgot to eat, and it died. And, and, and I see that as a picture of trading in your life force, your power, your freedom for pleasure that's so fake. That, that God gives pleasure with the food and the drink and the life and the freedom that He gives you. But as you go for this false pleasure, you become a prisoner of it and you become weaker and weaker as that mouse did over time. So we see in this principle that God's out to free you. God's out to separate you from not only sin because it stains you, not only because it separates you from hell, because of what it enslaves you. He wants to make you free like the Israelites out of Egypt. He sanctifies you and He justifies you. He makes you so that you can say, I was a thief. I was a drunkard. I was greedy. I was a fornicator. That I was, and I will confess it, because I will confess it. it's God's glory that He changed me. But I am justified. I am free. I am clean. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have that hope. My brother and sister, don't settle for anything less. Don't believe the lies of modern Christianity that says it that you know these are just labels that you can slap on you that are good enough to say I'm new and improved version of myself. God wants to change you fundamentally and give you freedom. And if you're not experiencing the freedom, then come back to the Word of God because it has the power to free you. The promises and the power and the sanctification, the justification are there. God doesn't want you to have one foot in Egypt. My dear friend, if you're feeling like the place you're living at is dark and uncomfortable, you don't like some of the things you see in yourself and you've tried to change them, and you found it frustrating, 
and sometimes you feel like it's hopeless, then you're, the Bible says you're par for the course. Romans 8 or 7 tells you that's exactly what Paul could relate to. But you can become washed and justified. You can say, that's not who I am. That's not who I always have to be. There is an opportunity to leave this behind and become new through the power of Jesus Christ. What do I have to do? Do I have to work really hard? Do I have to, to, to attend some sort of self-help program? Maybe uh, memorize a whole bunch of scripture? Spend X hours a day reading the Bible? Is there some kind of system that you can follow that you know how I'm going to get out of this miserable state? A wretched man that I am? What do we see in this example of how God's going to redeem the world and how He's going to redeem you? Christ came and He became the ruler. You need to let Christ come into your heart and rule and choose to let Him change you. And as Christ came through the clouds and came to this planet, He changed the very nature. He will change the very nature of the planet. He'll remove the curse. He will change the nature so it doesn't bring forth thistles and thorns naturally. And He can change your nature so you become a person who doesn't have to lust and have to to cheat and have to be greedy and have to be abusive and manipulative and all these things that you see in your heart and you know are wrong. He will change your nature if you choose to let Him in and to rule in your hearts. And one day, He will make a whole new body for you that won't even experience those temptations. But for now, you can have His presence with you and His power with you and you can be free and you can be completely new and say, that was me. But by the grace of God, it is no longer. What a hope we have. Let's never, ever water it down.